Well, again, good morning, and if I haven't met you yet, my name is Matt Howell. I'm one of the pastors here, and we want to welcome you wherever you find yourself tuning in. I know some of you came off of a weekend that was fun with celebration and family and fireworks and hot dogs and all the 4th of July stuff, and some of you came out of this weekend with a lot of hardship and a lot of pain and a lot of uh, challenges, and some of you are tuning in from a position of belief and some of you are tuning in from a position of doubt and everybody in between. And so regardless of where you find yourself this morning, I just wanna personally welcome you to Redeemer. Well, what is Redeemer? Well, Redeemer is a church and we continue to be a church. And what that means is we're a community of people trying to learn how to love God and love our neighbor. And the way that we do that is we get together each week, every Sunday uh, to worship God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit so that we might rest in his great love for us. And then we get together throughout the week individually over coffee or donuts or milkshakes or in community groups so that we might remind one another of his great love for us. And as we rest and as we remind, we delight to spread throughout Midtown in service so that together we might reflect his love for us. Because we really do, we, we, we dream of seeing our city flourish through the redemptive love of Jesus. So that's who we are. We're a community of people. We're trying to learn how to love God. We're trying to learn how to love our neighbor as we rest and as we remind and as we reflect his love. And in order to help us do that this summer, what we're doing is we're looking at the parables that Jesus told. As you might be familiar, parables, it was a teaching device, these little stories that Jesus told to show us what God is like, to show us, to show us what it's like to connect with him. And he told these stories to intentionally uh, frustrate us. Parables have a way of kind of boring into your thinking so that they would disrupt and, and challenge your previous existing categories. And if you will hear Jesus this morning, I think the parable that was just read is, is one of the most offensive stories and one of the most challenging and disruptive stories he tells. Because the story he just told has to do with justification. Now that's a thick, clunky Bible word that I'm sure a lot of people are not familiar with, but l let me give you another word that you are familiar with that will help ease us into this kind of biblical concept. There is a word that is omnipresent in our culture right now, and it is the word enough. Enough. If you will listen for it, everybody and their mother is talking about and living for this, this sense of enoughness. We're, so, we're trying, everybody's trying so hard to be enough, to be good enough, to be smart enough, or thin enough, or involved enough, or woke enough, or desired enough, or successful enough, or, or whatever. We're all so desperately trying to be enough, which I think tells you a couple of different things. On the one hand, it tells you that we all assume that there is this standard of enoughness, that if we can just hit that mark, whatever that thing is to you, then you will have a sense of, I am the right kind of person. I am accepted, I'm validated, I'm enough. And all of this language and this talk about enough also shows us that we feel, we feel the, the disparity. We feel the inner deficit. We, we sense that there is a standard and we're not there yet. That's why we're trying to get there. 
which I, I, I think this is one of the reasons why the concept of shame has just kind of exploded in our country over the past 10, 15, 20 years or so. Brene Brown has done so much work and she's, she has put language to the deficit that we feel. Shame is what we feel when we start to butt up against our not enoughness. That's what shame is. It's when, it's when we butt up against our not enoughness. So we're all running from our shame. We're all trying to be enough. And it's that desire, that quest to be enough, that is the desire of just, for justification. When the Bible talks about justification, it's talking about that, that quest, that desire in us to want to be enough. And so Jesus tells this parable, he tells this story to show you that even though everybody has that same desire, everybody has that same instinct to want to be enough, there's actually two different ways to try and get it. And he tells you this by showing you two different stories, or sorry, two different characters. Each character in the story represents a different way to be justified, to be enough. One is a dead end, one is the pathway to life. So what I want to do is just is think about this concept of justification from this story and, and walk you through how Jesus shows us how we miss it, how we get it, and then how do we use it. So three big ideas, justification, how to miss it, how to get it, how to use it. First, uh, how do we miss it? Well, the first character Jesus gives us in the story is a Pharisee. Now, in Jesus' original context, Pharisees were like the spiritual Navy SEALs of their day. These were like legit <laughs> religious people. They went to church all the time. They read the Bible all the time. They studied the Bible all the time. They memorized the Bible all the time. These were good citizens. They were good fathers. They were good people. Everyone respected them. Everyone looked up to them. And Jesus tells us the story of here's this Pharisee and here he is in church and he's standing up by himself and he's praying and he prays this prayer that basically is kind of a running list of his resume. He says, oh God, thank you that I haven't cheated on my wife. Thank you that uh, I haven't stolen any of the petty cash from the drawer at work. Thank you that I um, go to church all the time and I'm not a bad person and I fast and I do all the right things. He's basically looking at God and saying, look, look at all the stuff that I'm doing religiously, spiritually. Certainly this is enough. Certainly I'm the right kind of person. And he's expecting God to look down at him and say, bravo, well done. You, you are accepted and beautiful in my sight. It kind of reminds me of one of those digital shorts that Saturday Night Live put out a couple of years ago. Aziz Ansari was the guest host that particular week, and he's in this kind of video um, where he is going to be a passenger on an Uber driver, or he's going to be a passenger on an Uber drive. I don't think that's the right way you say that, but you get the point. So right before he gets in to, for, for this, uh, into this Uber, he checks his rating, and his rating is low. It's like a 3.9, and he thinks, man, I've got to get a better rating. I've got to get a five-star rating in this drive so I can boost my score. Now, he doesn't know this, but the Uber driver, as he's pulling up, realizes as the driver, he's got a low rating as well. And so he's, this ride has to go perfect so he can get a five-star rating as well. And they both come together without the understanding that each one of them is desperate for this five-star rating from the other person. So Aziz gets in the back, guys in the front. They immediately start to racially profile each other to figure out what kind of music the other person wants to listen to. Um, the Uber driver says, hey, would you like some mints? 
And Aziz is, can't refuse. He wants to impress the guy. So he's like, yes, sure, I'll take some mints. And the guy starts digging around in the console for like three minutes and eventually pulls out this box of off-brand Russian mints called Mouth Help, which, which is an amazing name for a mint, Mouth Help. And they've been sitting in there for like years. They're all melted and gross. And so he hands back this gross box of mints and Aziz doesn't, he can't refuse, he has to take it. And so he puts the mint in his mouth and it's disgusting and he spits it out, but the Uber driver sees him do that. And so Aziz gets insecure. It's like, oh dear, I've got to, I've got to fix this. And so he starts to give him a back massage. He starts reaching for it. He's kind of rubbing his back. And then the Uber driver starts to think, well, I, I've got to return the favor. I can't just accept this massage. I got to get a five-star rating too. So he reaches back and grabs Aziz's leg and puts his leg in the front and he takes off his shoe and takes off his sock and he's driving and he's massaging his foot. It's just insanity. Super funny. You need to go look it up. But what's, what's hilarious about this video is it's showing you here, here Here's how insane it is to live your life when you're dominated by this, I need to get this five-star rating, I need to get this five-star rating. And what's so prophetic about that video is of course it's just a mirror to all of us. That all of us were just living these crazy, insane lives like that Pharisee, just doing everything we can so that we can get the five-star rating, so that we can prove that we're enough. You see this with how the pace with which we live life. We're so busy. Maybe things have slowed down for you in light of the pandemic, but most of the time we live such busy lives. And I think one of the reasons why we live such a frenetic pace is because busyness in our mind equals importance. If I'm busy enough, I'll get a five-star rating. I'm the right kind of person. I think this is one of the reasons why we also, um, I mean, just think about Think about how we relate to exercise. I mean, we have these devices that track our steps, they track our mileage, we monitor our food intake or our water intake, and all of these metrics, all of these measurements are giving us numbers so that we can, we can track, we can finally be enough. Or, or, or think about how we relate to even you know, spirituality and religion. We, we begin to think, I'm the right kind of person based off of how much religious activity I'm doing. So we start to feel really guilty if we haven't been to church in a while, or we start to feel really good about ourselves if we've read the Bible pretty consistently. And so we, we look to religion and spiritual stuff to bolster our sense of self. I mean, that's what the Pharisee is doing. He's looking to his religious busyness and thinking, I got a five-star rating. I'm doing pretty well. What's fascinating, at the end of this parable, in verse 14, Jesus gives us a plot twist. And he says, no, that man is not justified. In other words, he is not enough. He's condemned. He's, he's missed it. Now, why? Why would somebody that is actually doing great spiritually, somebody that doesn't get a five-star rating? Well, maybe you noticed in verse 9, at the beginning of the story, it be, it, at the beginning of this passage, it says, Jesus tells this parable to, quote, some who were confident of their own righteousness. Righteousness is basically the Bible's word for enoughness. This guy was confident he was enough. He was looking to his moral record, his religious devotion. He's putting all of his spiritual weight on those things, resting, banking everything on the fact, I'm the right kind of person because look, 
Just look at what I'm doing. And it's causing him to miss out on a deeper, actually more real form of justification because he's so obsessed with self-justification, self-righteousness, self-enoughness. Now, what's scary is that we're sophisticated people, you and me, and we have the capacity to literally look to anything to prop up our self-image, to give us a sense of self. We can find righteousness and enoughness in literally anything. We, we, can, we can have exercise righteousness. Uh, a number of years ago, I used to be involved in this workout group that met at 5.30 in the morning. 5.30 a.m. Now just picture me and a bunch of middle-aged men at 5.30 in the morning doing burpees and sprints. That was me. I don't do that anymore because that's insane. But I'll tell you, when I drove home into my neighborhood after working out hard at you know, 6.30 in the morning and it's dark outside and all these other people, they're still asleep. Oh, that feeling was delicious because that's just exercise righteousness. I, I'm propping myself up and I'm better than all y'all people. I mean, we, we, can do, we can do this with masks. We can have mask righteousness. You can walk into a coffee shop or a bar or a restaurant and you not be wearing a mask and everyone else is wearing a mask and you begin to think to yourself, what is up with all these crazies? What, what, are, these, what are they doing? And it cuts the other way. Maybe, maybe you go into the thing and you're wearing the mask and nobody else is wearing the mask and you're like, Look at all these crazies. What are they doing? Mask righteousness. It cuts both ways. I mean, you, you see this certainly all over social media right now in, in light of kind of the recent response of racial injustice. There's so much virtue signaling happening right now. People posting this, saying this. Am I, saying, am I posting the right kind of person? Because everybody wants to be the kind of person that says, hey, I'm the right kind of person. I'm not a racist. Look at this. Look at, look at who I am. You can have, you can have woke righteousness. I'm telling you, you can do this with anything. We do this with coffee. You might be a person that only drinks like fancy, bougie, you know, fancy pants coffee, and you find out that somebody drinks and enjoys Starbucks and you kind of internally eye roll. That's called coffee righteousness. Obviously, I could keep going with examples, but you get the point. We look to a million different things. We look to... Um, our, our neighborhoods, we look to um, the schools that our kids go to, we, the kind of church that we go to, the kind of grocery stores we shop in. We look to anything to differentiate ourselves and say, I'm the right kind of person, I'm enough. And Jesus is saying, whatever that thing is that you're using to give you a sense of self, that is self-justification. And it's gonna cause you to miss out on a deeper form of justification. Do you want to know what it is? Whatever the thing is for you that you're banking your righteousness on, your enoughness on, try to figure out what is it in your life that makes you the most tired and what is the criteria in your life that you use to separate yourself from other people. That's how you can know what, how you're justifying yourself. Where am I the most tired and what is the criteria that I'm using to differentiate myself and to separate myself from those people. Whatever that thing is, that's what you're banking your life on. And it's gonna cause you to miss justification because you're doing self-justification. So that's how we miss it. We miss justification when we try to justify ourselves, when we try to be enough in all the million different ways that we do it. So secondly, that raises the question, okay, then how do you get it? 
If that's how you miss it, how do you get it? And to answer that question, Jesus introduces us to this second character, which is a tax collector. Now, by contrast, tax collectors were like the worst. No one liked tax collectors. They were essentially con artists. They were white-collar criminals. And here's this guy, and he's at church, and look at how he prays in verse 13. It says, he stands off to the side, so even he is social distancing, and he's so ashamed of himself, he won't even look up to heaven, which reminds me of, you know, my kids, when they get in trouble, they won't even look you in the eyes, they just look down. And he's looking down, and it says that he's, he's beating on his chest, which was his way of just feeling the, the agony, the, the weight of his flaws, the weight of his sin, the sense of, of woe for who he really is. And he prays a one-sentence simple prayer. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. That's it. God, I'm a sinner. Have mercy. Which is his way of saying, God, I'm a train wreck. I can't offer you a resume. I can't, I can't get a five-star rating from you for anything I've ever done. And in fact, I can't do enough good stuff to outweigh all the bad stuff. I am doomed unless you extend mercy. And in fact, actually in the Greek, when he says, have mercy on me, the actual Greek, literally, he says, make atonement for me. He looks to God and says, God, if you're going to accept me, you have to forgive my performance record. You have to ignore it, and you have to accept me on the basis of a different performance record, because I got nothing. If you're going to accept me, God, you have to ignore my performance record, and you have to accept me on the basis of a different one. Now that right there is justification in a nutshell. Justification by faith in Jesus is when God does not treat you according to your performance record and instead treats you on the basis of Jesus's performance record. Now I know that's a mouthful. That's a lot to take in. I'll say it again. Justification is when God does not treat you according to your performance record, your resume, and instead he treats you on the basis of Jesus's resume, Jesus's performance record. Let, let me try to illustrate it this way in case that's still clunky. Um, I don't know if you've seen the TV show, The Office, but if you've seen The Office, you'll know that there's this amazing episode called The Golden Ticket. What happens in that episode is that the manager, Michael Scott, dresses up as Willy Wonka, and he has this promotional idea where he's going to put a golden piece of paper into random boxes of paper shipments, and whoever receives that particular paper shipment, if they get one of the golden tickets, they get 10% off of their order for the entire year. He gets very excited about this. At the beginning of the episode, he says, it will be a day for them that is full of whimsy and full of excitement and full of fantasy. So as the story goes on, the largest client of Dunder Mifflin Paper Company receives not just one of the golden tickets, but all five of them. So now it's a major financial disaster. And the CEO of Dunder Mifflin starts to head down to the Scranton office to seemingly confront Michael over this stupid decision that he made. So Michael panics and he grabs one of the other employees named Dwight Schrute and he begs Dwight to take the fall for him. Well, just tell him this was your idea. Take the blame for me. 
and uh, the CEO comes in, and to everybody's surprise, instead of blasting Dwight Schrute, who accepts the credit for this idea, instead he shakes his hand, and with excitement he says, unbelievable news, that client just decided to make us their number one paper provider for the rest of the year, and every, everybody starts, you know, uh, uh, applauding, and this is this horrible thing that now became really amazing, and Michael, of course, is over in the corner fuming. And as the episode goes on, the, the CEO eventually figures out this was Michael's idea, and he had Dwight take the fall for him, and he's all confused, and so he sits down with Michael at the end, and he goes, what do you want me to do now? And here's Michael's quote. He says, well, David, I will be honest with you. I do want the credit without any of the blame, which is very honest. He says, I want all the credit without any of the blame. Now, that is justification in a nutshell. When God justifies somebody, he gives you all of the credit of Jesus's ideas, Jesus's life, and you get none of the blame of your own. Maybe think of it like this. Here's a helpful way that might make sense of this. Let's say somebody decides to publish a book of your life, everything you've ever thought, everything you've ever said, everything you've ever felt, everything you've ever looked up on the internet, everything you've ever done in secret, they publish a book of your life. They put your name on the cover and they publish a book of Jesus's life, everything he ever thought, everything he ever said, everything he ever did, how he perfectly loved God with all of his heart and mind and soul and strength and how he perfectly loved his neighbor, his whole life, put Jesus's name on it. And the publisher wants to present both of these resumes, these life stories to God and have God evaluate them. And let's just say in this made up scenario, the publisher did a publishing error. And so the cover of the book about your life has Jesus's name on it. And the book about Jesus's life has your name on it. So God takes the book of your life, but it says Jesus on the front. So he looks at every time that, he sees every time and reads every time that Jesus looked at porn, every time that Jesus drank too much, every time that Jesus felt so good about himself because he didn't cuss and he read his Bible, every time that Jesus used his words to tear down other people, every time that Jesus was apathetic towards injustice and racism. And God sees that performance and decides to give Jesus what that kind of performance is worth. And he resigns Jesus to a brutal execution on a cross. And he pours out all of his disapproval, all of his judgment, all of his wrath for that kind of life. And then God picks up the story of Jesus's life, but it has your name on the cover. And God reads about all the times that you fed the 5,000. And when you cared for the poor and you cared for the hungry, and you cared for justice and you gave your life for the marginal and the outcast and the needy and how you perfectly, flawlessly loved God with all of your heart, with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and you love your neighbor perfectly as yourself. And God looks at that and he looks at you and he says, wow, well done, good and faithful servant. I accept you, I delight in you, I find you staggeringly beautiful. That is justification by faith. You get all of the credit of Jesus's performance without any of the blame of your own. And Jesus gets all of the blame of your performance and my performance without any of the credit of his own. He's our substitute. And God does this completely by grace. So 
Jesus tells us this story to give us two characters, two different ways to be justified. You can try to justify yourself. You could try to be enough and look at it, try to be enough in a million different ways. Or you can give up on the make myself enough project and throw yourself at the mercy of Jesus and he becomes enough for you in God's sight. One is a dead end and it will not justify you. And the other is the pathway to life. So how do you get it? You basically say what Michael Scott said. You said, God, I want all the credit without any of the blame. Or another way to put it, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And the good news of the gospel is this. When you come to God with nothing, he gives you everything. That's how you get it. That's how you miss it. That's how you get it. And lastly, how, how do you use this? How do you use it? And I'll, and I'll be brief here. I, I do want to try to make this practical. Um, if, if what I'm talking about is true, if the gospel is true, if justification by faith in Jesus alone is true, then how can you use this in your life to begin to reprogram your self-image? Let, let me give you two quick steps and then I'm done. Step number one is that you root out your self-justification. I mean, this is kind of like pulling weeds. If you don't pull weeds in your garden, eventually the weeds just kind of take over everything. You have to vigilantly, constantly scan through your life and ask yourself the question, what am I banking on other than Jesus? What am I rolling all of my hope and trust on to make myself feel like I'm enough other than Jesus? And then begin to pull those things out, root those things out. There's a great old hymn, Come Ye Sinners, uh, one of the lines towards the end of that hymn says, venture on him, venture wholly, let no other trust intrude. I love that line, let no other trust intrude. Because there's these weeds of false trusts that are always gonna start intruding and the task of the believer is to let none of that stuff pop up, let none of it intrude. And so the way that that could look like practically is that you just, you're constantly asking yourself the question, what am I looking to, to make me enough? And, and you say, okay, man, why, why am I so busy? Why am I so stressed? Well, I'm, I think I'm trusting in productivity and a sense of, you know, accomplishment to make me feel like I'm enough. Why am I feeling so much pressure to read everything right now? And you say, oh, I'm, I'm trusting in, in knowledge and awareness. That will, that's the thing that I believe will make me enough. You say, okay, why in the world am I checking Instagram, Facebook 15 times, you know, over and over and over and over every day? Oh, I'm, tr I'm really trusting comments and likes to make, give me a sense of being enough. You, you root out you weed out all of the, the, the self-justification projects in your life. And then the last step is you relocate your identity in Jesus. Once you have rooted those things out, you throw them away and you relocate your identity in Jesus, which means that you have to preach the gospel to yourself, to tell yourself things that are true. Things like, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. I have the very righteousness of Jesus. He is enough for me. The smiles of the Father are mine. The, God does not love me any more or any less than he does right this moment. I, I can't lose the love of God because I didn't do anything to earn the love of God. I, I'm free to fail. I'm not enough, but Jesus is enough. 
Now, what you're doing as you're preaching the gospel to yourself is you're consciously tapping into what you know to be true, the reality of God's grace. And when you begin to taste his grace, you can step off the treadmill. You, you can quit the quest to be enough. Isn't that infinitely better than just doubling down on your efforts to try to be enough? To just quit and say, I'm not enough. I'll never be enough. But Jesus is enough for me. Here's what Jesus says in closing. Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Consider that an invitation. Let me pray. Father, indeed, would you humble us? Would you give us eyes to see the depths of our poverty, the depths of our need? Would you liberate us by your kindness that we would be able to say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And then give us eyes to see how rich and bottomless your grace is for people that aren't enough. We pray all this in Jesus' name.